this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Well, today we're starting a new series called I'll Do It Tomorrow. And the subtitle is Finding the Power to Change. And so I'm really excited for us to jump into this. There's something about the month of January that causes people to say, you know what? I'm going to change my life. I'm going to live different. In the month of January, people go and buy gym memberships. And all the people who have gym memberships year-round don't like those people because all of a sudden the gyms are packed and you can't find an open treadmill for your life. It's so frustrating. But people are like, no, I'm going to be different. I'm going to change in the new year. People go into their home and they find all the junk food that they couldn't get eaten before December 31st, and they throw it away. All the Christmas goodies are, all right, it's a new start, and they start purging their house of all the stuff that they shouldn't have. They start setting their alarm clock earlier. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be more disciplined in the new year. I'm going to get up. Some people, I'm going to start reading my Bible in the morning. Some people are saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break those bad habits I have, or, hey, I'm going I'm to live on a budget for the first time in my life. I'm going to be better with my money. Um, people have all sorts of stuff they do. My wife, her goal this year, is to love vegetables. And I said, what? I said, more power to you. And she said, you got to be on board because I'm going to start cooking some vegetarian meals. I'm like, as long as you cooking, I'll eat it. But I don't know what's going to happen. We had the whole portobello mushroom incident the other night. That did not turn out like I thought. But hey, <laughs> praise God, we had food in the house. So, so people are always trying to change. And I don't know what change it is that you desire in your life and that you want but, but I think that the reason that we want to change, especially in January, is because, number one, we know that we should. Like, we know that there's things in our life that's not good. We know we should change. And there's just, number two, something about this time of year that feels like a fresh start. It's a new year. It can be a new me. I can have a reset button. And even though those things are true, even when you want to do it, even though the time seems right, even though you know you should do it, it's still hard to change. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's hard to change. We are people of habit. We like to do the same thing again and again, and we fall into our rut, and to try to disrupt the system is super hard. It is hard to change, even when you want it, even when you know it's good. It's hard to change, and, and if we're honest, in the attempts to change, so often we find ourselves saying, you know what, I know I should, but I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll have this Coca-Cola and these Christmas stacks. I'll eat them now so that tomorrow, tomorrow I'll eat healthier. Tomorrow I'll be a more loving person tomorrow. Right now I'm still a little mad. I'll be more loving tomorrow. Um, I, I, I'll be a, peop, a person that reads the Bible every day tomorrow. I, I just don't have time today. You know what? I'll forgive them. Tomorrow, I still want to sit and be a little angry at them because that still hurts. I'm going to wait. I'll be a forgiving person tomorrow. And, and before we know it, and you know how the story goes, we say, I'll do it tomorrow for weeks, for months. Some of us have said, I'll do it tomorrow for years. And we've not ever embraced change. But what if, how wild is it? What if this year could be different? What if this year you actually changed? The thing that you wanted, the person you wanted to become, what if you actually moved in that direction this year? 
wouldn't that be the most exciting thing? See, I think that this year can be different, that we actually can change. So as we kick off this series, and we're going to be talking about this for the next four weeks, let's start with this truth. Change is coming whether you're ready for it or not. See, we can always want certain change, but even if you don't want change, guess what? Change is coming. Whether you're ready for it or not, change is coming. You guys remember playing hide-and-go-seek as a kid? You'd go and count to 10 or 20 or 50 or whatever it is, and then you would announce to everybody, ready or not, here I come. That's change. Change may have been hidden. You'd be like, ah, no, it's not coming for me. And then all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, Change is coming. It says, ready or not, here I come. And and we can try to hide from it, but change will always find us. We can try to fight change and resist it, but life is all about change. And sometimes we welcome change. Sometimes there's good changes. When your boss comes in and says, hey, I'm going to give you more money this year. That is a good change. Like We are like, praise the Lord, Facebook post, little prayer hands. It's been awesome. But then, you know, the boss comes in and says, hey, we're having to make some layoffs. Oh, this is not welcome change. This is, this is bad day change. So sometimes we welcome change and embrace it, but other times, man, change is honestly the last thing we want. But change is coming because change is a part of life. There's no getting around it. Even in the Bible, the writer of Ecclesiastes understood that change was at the heart of being human, of living life. Here's what he says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. He says, for everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. When's the last time you danced? There's a time for it, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away. Don't hug too long. There is a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Times change because change is a constant part of life. And and some change is voluntary. We choose it. But then there's other change that's just inevitable. So here's the question I have today. What do you do when you know change is coming? If change is a constant in life, then I know that change is coming. What do I do when I know that change is coming? How should I respond to this truth? I think option one is that we acknowledge this truth, that change is coming. I recognize it, and I do something important. I prepare myself for the change. I make decisions today that will position me to better embrace the change that comes tomorrow. That's option one. That's probably a pretty good option. Option two is, you know, I know change is coming, but I'll just deal with it tomorrow when it shows up. 
I, I won't do anything to prepare for it. I got enough things I got on my plate. That change, I'll deal with it when it gets here. I'm not going to waste any energy on it now. I'll just figure it out on the spot. Those are your two options. Do you prepare for change or do you say, ah, I'll just figure it out when it gets here? Back in 2016, my wife, Missy, received a phone call from her doctor confirming that she was indeed pregnant. And so she went and grabbed her camera and then invited me into the living room of our house to break this news to me that I was going to be a dad. And so it felt like a paparazzi moment. There was no getting away from it. She's got a camera in one hand. She's delivering news and then capturing whatever the emotions were that were going to be on my face in that very moment. And in that moment that she gave me this news, I knew, uh-oh, change is coming. Uh, our, our lives are going to be forever different. This is like a defining moment. There was like before kids, and then there's after kids. Some of you are like, we know that moment. And so I was there. I knew change was coming. And so here's the pictures that she snapped. This is the face of a guy who's trying to figure out how to prepare for change. There's disbelief. There's wonderment. There's excitement. My identity's changing. I'm going to actually be a dad. There's going to be a small creature. He's going to be like in my image. This is going to be wild. This is going to be weird. But what if he isn't look like me? What? I don't know. This is going to be a crazy thing. And then it eventually ended up with me laying down and having to ponder the decisions of my life. And my wife, yay, yay. So, now, can you imagine how irresponsible I would have been to not prepare for having a baby? What if we never had a baby shower? We never celebrated with our friends and family. What if I never bought a car seat? What if I never checked to see what my insurance deductible was going to be? That turned out to be very important. Uh, what if I never learned how to safely hold and care for a baby? What if no one told me you shouldn't shake them? That would have been irresponsible. See, the responsible thing to do was to prepare for the change that I knew was coming. And so guess what we did? We cleaned out a bedroom that we had full of stuff. I, I painted that bedroom. We bought a crib and a bassinet, a changing table, a rocking chair, a breast pump, baby bottles, pacifiers, swaddles, clothes, diapers, wipes, booger suction, bulb thingies. And, and we prepared because change was coming. I, I think most of us in the room would agree that preparing for a baby is smart and responsible. Preparing for the change. But it's funny how that doesn't always translate to other parts of our life. Now, someone could argue, well, Pastor Alex, when it comes to having a baby, you have months to prepare. Like, you have, like, a good heads up. And, and, and that's true. When you're having a baby, you kind of have a timeline. You have a due date. You have time to prepare. And, and I could see somebody saying, but, but Pastor Alex, what about when there's unexpected changes thrown at you? What about when you're not given months' notice? How can you prepare for life when it changes unexpectedly, like when you are unexpectedly being let go from your job, or, or maybe you have a child and they go through a traumatic accident. How do you prepare for that? Or, or your doctor comes and gives you the report from the test that you just had. How do you prepare for that, Pastor Alex? And I would say, I'm so glad that you asked, because that is the change we need to prepare for. 
See, for most of us, when we think about preparing for change, we only think about preparing for change from our perspective. And, and we approach this change, whatever it may be, from a finite, limited perspective. And what we try to do is we try to prepare for whatever change may be coming our way in our own strength. And while there's nothing wrong with that, it's just woefully inadequate because we can't prepare for every future scenario. Uh, there's no way for us to think of every possible change that might be coming our way and prepare for it. And, and, and even with the best, most theoretical mind, you couldn't dream of every possible change that could come your way. But if God is real, and I believe he is, and he knows everything that there is to know, then he knows every future possibility. And he knows every change that you might encounter in your life. Well, that, that's a game changer. And, and, and here's, the, here's the wild thing. You know what most of us think? We think, well, if God knows what changes are coming my way, what I need him to do is I need him to tell me what those changes are. Just, just you know, call me up, let me know what's coming so I can prepare. And so we approach it from the same vantage point, that if I had this divine knowledge, that somehow I would know how to prepare for the change. Isn't there like a little arrogance in that, a little pride? Like, like if I knew, then I could prepare. But let's be honest, you don't know how to prepare. You don't know how to get ready for that. Even if you knew everything that was going to happen tomorrow, you wouldn't still be ready for it. Because you are not capable of preparing for those changes. Knowing the changes doesn't help us, but, but maybe knowing the one who knows the changes, maybe that could help us. See, we can't prepare for the path ahead. I don't know what the path is going to be, but maybe God could prepare me for whatever the path is. Maybe instead of asking God to straighten my path and to make the path easy for me, man, take all the obstacles out of the way, maybe instead I should say, God, just prepare me for whatever the path is. What if instead of changing what we're going to go through, what if he just made us the type of person that could go through the change? See, it changes everything because instead of it being in my power to prepare for change in my own strength, I don't even know if I can do that. God, I just need you. And if you, God, can change me, I'll be able to face whatever life throws my way. The responsible thing to do is to prepare for change. It's just we've been going about it all wrong. Change is coming because change is a part of life. And when change arrives, guess what? It demands a response. That change shows up. Oh, man, you have to respond. You're going to have some sort of response. It might be an emotional response. It might be a logical response. It might be an illogical response. But when change arrives at your front door, it demands a response. You get a promotion at work. Or it's the first warm day after a cold, long winter. Or your beloved Chiefs win the Super Bowl after a 50-year drought. These are all positive changes that are met with an extreme excitement. My response is, woohoo! But then there's changes that come that can be painful, and it brings a different response to us. When your marriage is suffering, or it's the loss of a marriage, or something happens in your work place, or there's a death of a close friend or a family member, our response to that is radically different 
than your beloved Chiefs winning a Super Bowl. Change is coming. Change is a part of life. Change demands a response, but here's the big part. Our response will either bring us closer to God or take us further away from him. Whenever the change comes, we have to respond, but how we respond is either going to bring us closer to God or it's going to take us further away. For example, when you lose a loved one, when that change enters your world that this person is no longer going to be on earth, we're never going to have those conversations, those text messages, those phone calls, there's going to be no more memories with this person. Your response to that is either going to draw you closer to God or it's going to push you further away from him. When your sales are down at work and it was a rough year for you in business, your response to that is either going to bring you closer to God or it's going to take you further away from him. When you find yourself single for yet another New Year's Eve, your response to that is either going to take you closer to God or it's going to take you further away from him. When you find yourself fighting and and your relationships aren't turning out like you thought and maybe you're married and this marriage relationship is, is not going according to what you hoped, your response to that conflict is either going to draw you closer to God or it's going to take you further away from him. When the doctor reveals your test results, guess what? Your response to that is going to take you closer to God or it's going to take you further away from him. Your response is such a big deal. And can I let you in on a little secret? It's always the small choices that determine your biggest outcomes. It's the things you didn't think were that important, but, but that choice, that attitude, that response, allowing that anger to still set in my heart, all of those things determine the biggest outcomes of your life. So how do we prepare for change? Change is coming. I need to prepare. That's the responsible thing to do. Well, we prepare by spending time with Jesus, learning to love what he loves and hate what he hates. We prepare for change by spending time with him and letting him prepare us, by letting him change us on the inside, letting him develop character in us, to have a more loving heart, to have what he produces in us, which is joy and peace and kindness and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-care. We let him develop that because then when the change comes, we're ready to respond the way that he would desire for us to respond. We allow him to remove from us guilt and anxiety and pride and allow him to replace that with a clear conscience, with genuine joy that's not based on circumstance, with peace that surpasses understanding, and a trust that in the end, all will be made right because I am on his team. When change arrives, we will respond. The question is, have you been prepared by God for the change that's coming? And the truth is, is you don't really know until you respond to the change. There's a test. There's an opportunity to show where your allegiance is. So often, man, we're praying for God to change the path, to make life easier for us. But I think that God is more interested in changing you than he is the path that you're going to walk. So I want to give just a little Bible illustration of this. I think you guys are getting the message. We can't prepare for the future. We need God to prepare us for whatever the future may hold. Change is coming. 
So how do we respond? Well, I talked to my wife about this. She's like, that's great, Alex. What does it mean? What does it mean to respond to God? What does it mean to respond the way he wants? And I was like, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, it was sounding like a really good sermon until you had to come and like pop my bubble. So, so this is for those of you who want to say, well, what does this look like in real life? So we're going to look at a story in Daniel chapter 3. Some of you guys remember Daniel. Uh, he was the guy who got thrown in the, the lion's den. Well, when he was thrown in the lion's den, he was an old man. When he was much younger, there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar who was on the throne. And, and kind of the story, the backstory a little bit, is that Daniel was a part of the Hebrew nation or the Israelites. This was like God's chosen people. And they were very rebellious. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. They didn't want to honor God. They wanted God to help them build their dreams. But God said, I'm not interested in helping you do whatever you want to do because that's not good for you. And so in an effort to love them, God withdrew from them and allowed this other country to come and conquer them. And so all of a sudden, his people were now in subject captivity, slavery, to the people of Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in. He was the new king. He was the new guy in charge. And what he did was really pretty incredible, if you read this story, is that he took all of the smartest people of the Hebrews, all the people that stood out, that, that looked good, that were intelligent, that were able to, to be leaders, and he pulled them all up and gave them positions of leadership under his kingdom so that the other Hebrews would follow them and that he could still control the people in the way that he wanted. And so of those smart people, of the elect people, Daniel was one of them. He stood out head and shoulders above everybody else, and he had three boys uh, that were his gang. It was like his people that were a part of this elite group, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, as I grew up, Christian jokes, we love them. This is the childhood story of going to bed because they're Shadrach, Meshach, and a bed we go. Let's go to bed. Come on. So that's how we always remember these names. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a pretty good chunk of Scripture. Um, some of you I know complain because I talk pretty fast. I'm going to talk fast during parts of this because we're going to cover 27 verses. And I'm going to slow down and emphasize a couple parts of this. Remember, change is coming. We don't know what the change is. But if we have been in relationship with God, God has prepared us to walk through whatever changes. How do we respond? What does that look like? That's what we're investigating from this story. So here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall. And nine feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the providential officials to come to the dedication of the statue he'd set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Ninety feet tall. It's like a nine-story building. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, that command took a little turn at the end. <laughs> so... At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, guess what they did? They bowed and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But 
some of the astrologers went to the king and informed of the Jews. The astrologers could be called tattletales. Here we go. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship a gold statue when they hear the sound of the horns of their luthah. Okay, verse 11. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, and king, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Bum, bum, bum. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. I don't know what that is, but that would be really interesting. Did he, like, just start running? Did he start yelling? Did he start throwing spears? What did he do? He flew into a rage. He flew into a rage. Ah! And he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they brought them in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, I'm an understanding guy. I just flew into a rage, but listen, I will give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue I have made. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but listen, if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, let's be honest, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Ooh. Change is coming. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, guess what? Change is coming. You're before the king. Life's not going like you thought. You were saying, I'm worshiping God. I love God. I want to worship only God. I don't bow down to any other God. I don't care who tells me to do it. I'm going to honor God. And in this moment, don't you think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could maybe be like, hey, God, what's up with this? Why didn't you stop the tattletalers from telling why don't you have the astrologers just, you know, forget or be blind? You did that once. You blinded people's eyes. Why didn't you blind their eyes? Why didn't you allow that scenario to play out? We're trying to honor you, God. Why are we being brought before the king, and why are we being threatened to be thrown into a fire unless we bow down and worship his God? God, you could have taken so many other paths to help us escape this. God, you could have changed the path that we had to walk, but God didn't change the path they had to walk. He didn't make the path an easy path. But he had prepared them for the path ahead. And so we get to see their response to this change. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But notice verse 18. So good. See, these guys didn't presume what God was going to do. They knew what he was capable of doing. They had hope that God could be with them. But, verse 18, but even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't save us from this, even if God doesn't rescue us from this, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Now, there's a response they didn't presume to say what God was going to do. Oh, try to throw us in there. God will save us. God's with us. They didn't do that. We know God's able to save us. God's able to do anything. 
But even if he doesn't, he's still God. And I'm still going to stand on his team. Isn't it interesting? I've met so many Christians that when change comes into their life, they raise a fist and they're mad at God. They don't even realize that they're mad at God. They're angry. Have you ever found yourself because a change came in your life and you're angry? And I don't know who to be angry at. And anger is interesting because it has no logic to it. Like you can't process it. It's just emotions just are there. Anger is there. But listen, when you get the uh, diagnosis, like I had a couple years ago, some of you guys know my story. Three years ago, my body kind of stopped working. Uh, I've been a coach. I've ran for my whole life. And all of a sudden, like, I couldn't run. Like, my, my knee was buckling in. I felt like something was squeezing me around the stomach. And I went to this neurologist, and they said, we think we know what's going on, but we don't know. We're going to call for a lot of blood work. We're going to do an MRI. We're going to do this lumbar puncture on you, and then we'll know. And so she does all these things to me. She says, you know what? I still don't know exactly what's going on with you, but, like, I would encourage you to do what I would encourage my own husband to do, and that is you need to go see a medical professional in a rare disease, and you need to go up to Mayo Clinic. Here's your papers. Good luck. We hope that you can get in up there. And all of a sudden, I'm going up to Mayo Clinic, and here I am. I've served God my whole life. I've taken care of my body. I've never done anything that I shouldn't do to this body. It's been, look at me. This is a good (laughs) specimen of a body. I have taken care of it. And in that moment that I go up to Mayo Clinic, and they said, you know what? This most resembles multiple sclerosis. I said, well, explain that to me. They said, well, it's a lifelong incurable disease with about a 70% chance you'll end up in a wheelchair. Say what? (laughs) You had a lot of big words there. Lifelong, incurable, wheelchair? Like, I have hopes of running with my children one day. I've been a high school coach. I've ran with hundreds of high schoolers. I would love to be able to run with my own kids one day. And you're telling me that there's a chance that none of that's going to happen? That instead of me running with my kids, I'm in a wheelchair and they're pushing me? In that moment, change is coming. Do I raise a fist and get mad at God and say, God, how could you? No. 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 What right would I have to raise a fist to him? He's God. And he didn't change the path that I had to walk, but he had changed me. And I knew that when I walked through that, he was going to be with me every step along the way. And I knew this, that he could heal me if he wanted to. But even if he didn't, I was going to love him. And I was going to show everybody in my world what it means to be fully surrendered to Jesus. Doesn't matter what you throw at my, I'm all in. My body stops working and I'm in a wheel. I'm all in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got that. Hey, I know that God can do anything. He could step in here and save us from that blazing fire. But even if He doesn't, we just let you know our hearts with Him, we won't bow. Change is coming. What's your response? We got to know how the story ended. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. He's the guy who flew into a rage. Guess what? He was so furious (laughs) with Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. This is awesome. Like, it's changing. Like, they hadn't seen sci-fi movies, but his face is doing it. It's becoming alien-like. 
And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. As in, make it as hot as it can possibly ever go. Max it out. And so then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're just standing there. They ain't trying to go anywhere, but let's get the muscle in here. Bouncers, come on, tie these boys up. And so they're getting tied up, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Now, you would think, right? These guys stood where they were supposed to stand. God would have changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He would have made the path easier. (laughs) No, he's not changing the path. He had changed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be able to go through whatever came their way. This ain't turning at all like they thought. I thought I loved God. I thought God was on my side. He is. It's just not the path that you envisioned as you're bound (laughs) in fire. Now get this. This is so crazy. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Hey, I know that I flew into a rage, but wasn't there only three dudes here? Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? And they were all like, Yes, your majesty. We certainly did. And he said, Look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace that had dead bodies outside of it and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego strolled on out of the fire. If it was me, I'd be like, no, you come in here. It's safe. I'm telling you, we're good. They didn't do that, did they? They just went ahead and like, all right, he's the king. Yeah. (laughs) Then the high officials, the officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, they crowded around. Like, wouldn't you? Like, what did we just witness? They all pushed in and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Incredible. Incredible. There was one thing that the fire did destroy, and I don't know if you caught it. When they got thrown into the fire, did you remember that they were bound? And did you notice when they were walking around, they were unbound? That fire didn't touch them at all. It only touched the thing that man put on them to restrict them. Do you know that God is bigger than whatever restrictions you think you have? We serve a limitless God, and he is a God of freedom who is willing to set you free. I don't care what your addiction's been. I don't know what your history's been. I don't care what your past has been. He can set you free, and you can experience new life in him. But it's all about the response that you have to the change that's coming. And we can't prepare for every change, but we can allow God to prepare us for whatever the future may hold. And so I want to encourage you today. Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you allowing him to change you from the inside out? You can work on the outside change all you want, but he changes you from the heart. 
He changes your character. He changes how you think about things. He changes your desires. He makes you a new person. And when you get a new heart, it doesn't matter what life may throw your way. There is a peace, a confidence, a joy that you can walk through anything. It's not presumptuous on what God will do, but it's full of hope. And in my own story, man, I'm thankful to say it was three years ago that my body stopped working on me. And the last time I was at the doctor, he said, I don't know what to say, but all the stuff that we saw in your spine and the damage and the inflammation, it's all gone. Your spine is healed up. I said, what? (laughs) I went and ran a marathon to celebrate God's healing in my body. But what happens if I go to the doctor next time and he says, nope, it's all back. Do I raise a fist at God then? No, no. I've thought about this. What would I do? How would I respond in that moment? And you know what I've determined my response would be? I think it would be like when Peter asked Jesus if he could get out of the boat and walk on the water. Nobody else got out of the boat but Peter. Nobody else walked on the water but Peter. And you say, yeah, but Peter sank. Peter took his eyes off at Jesus, and Jesus had to save him. Yeah, but Peter walked on water. And I'll tell you, I don't care what the future holds, I had healing right now, and I will celebrate that. I don't think Peter ever walked on water again, but I'll take what I get, and I will praise God for it. If you would, let me pray for you. God, I thank you that you love us, that you're so patient with us. And God, despite the fact that most of our prayers are pretty self-centered and us asking you to fix our lives and to fix the path that we're supposed to walk, God, you're so patient and you love us and you're so interested in relationship with us that, God, you've been good. As we sang earlier, Lord, the goodness of you is all over our life. And so, God, I just ask that as we begin this new series, as we begin to talk about change, that we would not put off to tomorrow spending time with you, that we would not put off to tomorrow allowing you to begin to change our heart. God, if there's anything in us that's resistant to you, resistant to who you are, God, I pray that you would help us to overcome those doubts, to overcome those insecurities, and to embrace you, recognizing that, God, you will change us. And God, no matter what the future holds, I pray that we would be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we will worship you no matter what. God, I pray for our hope to be filled today. I pray for us to have an increase of faith, and Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out. May this month be a month that we truly are able to change and change for good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.